bodies are back at Canucks practice and the return of the king, potentially. This is the Canucks Hour with Thomas Drantz and Chris Faber. The Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.com. My name is Chris Faber. Joining me here, I guess this is your show. I'm kind of joining you here for the Canucks Hour. The supreme reporter from the Athletic Vancouver. Thomas Drance. Drancer, how are you? I'm doing well, Faber. I'm excited to be at the rink. We're watching the end of Coyote's morning skate where we can tell our dear listeners that Louis Erickson is not being rinsed. Based on what we saw during the Coyote's morning skate, it does look as if King Louis 21 will return to Canucks ice, Rogers Arena ice, for a you know warm welcome perhaps from Canucks fans. Of course, he spent five years here prior to the de- de- prior to being dealt in the trade that brought Connor Garland and Oliver ekman Larson to Vancouver. And we were a little worried because we saw some flowing hair from one of the players that was staying over late, so we had to get the binoculars out. You confirmed it. Looks like we'll see Louie tonight, which is exciting news, but some other stuff as well, Drance, from practice. Obviously, some of the big takeaways, the first one that I noticed was seeing Travis Hamannick back on the ice for the Vancouver Canucks today. Yeah, Bruce Boudreaux said he was a week away. Um, unfortunately, the Tucker Pullman news for me sort of overshadowed it. appears that the defenseman who has played far better in the last 20 games or so than he did to open the season uh, is dealing with some migraines and headaches doesn't feel like himself um hopefully hopefully every all, all the he's visiting with specialists hopefully all the tests come back negative and he's able to re- rejoin this roster shortly uh the Canucks are shorthanded on the back end as we know no Hughes no Pullman you know those are two players who've logged top four minutes for them this season often together and so Big test for them against a Coyotes team and, well, Louis Erickson and the Arizona Coyotes, who, look, I think offer a far stiffer test than perhaps people will think if they just look at the standings, especially with Vegmelka in net. He can be a little bit inconsistent. He's not always on his game, but when he is on his game, he is capable of stealing two points. So the Canucks will have to be good tonight, and they really need to take advantage of this one because they've got a schedule loss tomorrow against an elite defensive team. Um, you know, it's it's going to be tough sledding for them there. It's going to be tough sledding for them on Saturday against the Leafs. Like, this is a really important way to get a pretty crucial stretch for this club, if you're still looking at the playoffs anyway, um, you know, off on the right foot. And we saw some of the defense pairings mixed up a little bit from yesterday to today. I know that something that you and I touched on yesterday on the Canucks Hour was the OEL Myers pairing. Yeah, it looked like I was right at practice yesterday, and now it looks like, in fact, uh, OEL and Myers will play together, and they'll play a lot. And I asked Bruce Boudreau, do you have to be cognizant of that with the ga- with the ga- team playing again tomorrow? And, you know, today is for today, tomorrow is for tomorrow was effectively his response uh, those two are going to need to monitor their recovery, like get the IV ready post game, get the ice packs ready, get the warm bath. Uh, it's going to be a busy week for Myers and OEL. It absolutely is. And I think the interesting one that I kind of saw when looking at the defense pairings was seeing Kyle Burrows be the guy that is snuck into the top four. It's it's surprisingly not the first time we've seen this. We've seen Kyle Burrows be forced into a top four position, specifically as a left-shot defenseman. We're going to see that tonight again as he's playing with Luke Shen to round out the top four. How many minutes is that pairing going to get? Like, How different is it from a top pairing now compared to a normal top four as he kind of spread the minutes out? Yeah, I mean, I wonder, too, how much we'll see things like 
what we saw at practice. Like, I, I don't know that they'll be able to just ride OEL with Myers together, even if they start the game that way. And it's not as if the Coyotes, um, you know, offer the sort of like high end top line that you need to really be <laughs> conscious of matching up with. Um, you know, so I, I bet we'll see them split. I bet we'll see them play together. And I think that'll have knock on effects for the likes of Burroughs and Shen and Hunt and Juleson as the game goes on. You know, I, I'd sort of expect as the as the contest, um, you know, near like as as the game continues that we'll see something like Burroughs, Shen, Myers and OEL play top four minutes. But, you know, with with that obviously heavily slanted toward the first pair. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I want to touch on Jack Rathbone too quickly. Cause Bruce, I'd love to do it. <laughs> yeah, you, no kidding. Chris <laughs> Faber in here for that. Uh, the, you know, Boudreaux was asked about Rathbone not coming up after he had a scintillating five-point performance, led the Abbotsford Canucks to an absolute demolition over their opponents last night. Who who were they playing again? Uh, they were playing the Tucson Roadrunners. Oh, okay. So a mirror of an AHL yeah. mirror game of of what we'll see at Rogers Arena tonight. And he, his answer was this effectively that we need to be comfortable eking out you know two one one nothing games right now. Uh, that's sort of the priority, and and as a result, defensive play is going to be prioritized, and that's the reason that Rathbone's not up as opposed to you know the clubs. Um, sort of longer-term plan for Jack Rathbone, a settled development path. And and I think that's fascinating because while the Canucks' defensive results have been good, uh, driven as much as they are by goaltending in my view, um, you know, this club has not scored enough, right? The teams that have scored fewer goals on a per-game basis than the Canucks are the Coyotes and the Montreal Canadiens and the, you know, Ottawa Senators. Like, check the standings. It's the, it's the teams at the bottom. And... So for me, that would suggest that their bigger need is to get something going, is to get enough goals, particularly considering the nature of the opponents that they face uh, tonight and tomorrow, right? These are teams that specialize in, I mean, if the Coyotes are going to beat you, they're going to steal a point, you know, 2-1 in the shootout. That's how yeah. they've beaten the Leafs. That's how they've beaten the Avalanche. That's kind of what they do when they win. Um, and likewise with the... Uh, you know, New York Islanders, more of a boa constrictor than a hockey team. That's how they live. So, you know, we'll see We'll see if that works. We'll see if the club's able to limit the damage sufficiently uh, to win the trade-off of not having the type of defenseman who, especially without Quinn Hughes in the lineup, they sorely lack. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's definitely a calculated risk and one that shows you that from Boudreaux's perspective anyway, right now, this club is still focused on maximizing the points they can gain from the standings. They are still in it as far as Boudreaux's concerned. He's thinking about today, not tomorrow. That's the philosophy. And he's going to try and grind out as many points as he can. That, you know, effort really has a, has a crucial, crucial game on deck against a team that they have to win. They have to win this game if they're going to have any hope of climbing back into this race. So, I mean, if you want to go... You know, and just try and battle offensively against this Coyotes team. A lot of NHL teams are going to be able to win that battle. So that does kind of surprise me a little bit to the point of not seeing Jack Rathbone in the lineup, specifically is what you're talking about without Quinn Hughes. I mean, Quinn Hughes has as much points as the rest of the defense core does. And to think that you just had a guy who had five points last night, it is a little bit surprising to not see that you would like to somewhat at least try to replace the offense. You're basically just giving away that chance of getting offense from your back end when you have not Quinn Hughes in when Quinn Hughes is not in the lineup 
I'm not saying that Jack Rathbone's the all answer to it. And, you know, Rathbone had a great answer. But he's answer a partial answer to it. And he's very aware of his defensive game and what he needs to work on. This is what he said in the post game uh, from Jack Rathbone after a five-point performance, as he mentioned. He says, it's always nice when the points come, but a lot of my game right now is being able to clean up my defensive side. We will watch the tape and get back to it on Wednesday. He was very aware that he was also on the ice for quite a few goals yesterday, only finished as a plus one on the night. Mm. So he was, though he was on the ice for five goals scored, one of them being on the power play as well, there was still some goals against that he wanted to clean up, and it was good to hear that from him in the postgame about it because that was kind of what Bruce Boudreaux said today was they wanted to go with the better defensive defenseman. And that's why Sautner's here, who won't probably be in the lineup tonight anyways. That's certainly self-aware, right? I, I mean, and that that sort of matters. Hey, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about something that – always gets people in this market fired up, and that is the skate logo. Okay. The skate logo is coming. I think we've known this for a while, right? We saw Thatcher Demko trying out and breaking in a set of, like, perfect Kirk McLean 94 replica pads, the all-black look, even oh. though, of course, he wears a different brand. Different. It's a different brand, but the same look, and an exactly faithful, like, perfectly faithful mask, um, an exact recreation uh, Thatcher Demko, always really thoughtful about his gear, uh, you know, has put together this Kirk McLean tribute look, and presumably that only works if you are freeing the skate and wearing black on Canucks home ice. Uh, don't know exactly when we'll hear more about this. The organization itself has, you know, been cagey about it. I, I, I sort of know from asking around that I do expect an announcement in the early part of this year. I provided that update, what, two months ago? So uh, crickets since, but Garland was noticed wearing black gloves and is oddly particular about his equipment, but in actually quite a charming way, as he explained today in the post uh, or in the like post morning skate availability. I asked him about it. I want to share this audio with the listeners and start to build some hype. Connor, just want to ask you, it looks like you've been breaking in a pair of black gloves uh, on the ice the last couple sessions this week. Uh, anything you can share with us? Uh, I just don't like um, new gloves. I wear about one or two pairs a year. Uh, I wear one one pair of skates a year. I don't change much of my equipment ever. So um, if we have to wear those third jerseys, I just ask that I get to use them beforehand so I can um, you know, not have a new pair. And is the your equipment preference as you're sticking with um, the same gear? Is that superstition, comfort? What what is it about um, about your approach to gear that sort of caused you to be someone who clearly is relatively low maintenance from an equipment manager's perspective? Yeah, yeah, I take pride in that. I'm, low, I'm as low maintenance as possible. I uh, I just just upbringing. I never, you know, I just I use the same stick skates. I never, you know. My mom used to dress me in pajamas to go to the rink and I still wear, you know, long pants and a long t-shirt underneath probably because of that. So, uh, you know, that's what I wear under my gear and I just do everything I did as a kid. So I just use one pair of clothes for the season. I don't even change during the game. Guys change a lot. You know, that TV timeout, I don't even change during the game. I always think you learn a lot from how a guy prepares for games, what their sort of preferences are. The fact that Connor Garland is low maintenance and takes pride in it, I love that. Like, one of the worst things that you can be in the NHL, right, is he's a lot of work for, mm. right, and then you say, like, third liner, third pair defenseman, <laughs> second, you know, not a superstar, right? You can be a guy who's high maintenance if you're prime Yaramir Yager, right? But later in your career, once you're a third liner, 
then it becomes, you know, a pain, even if you are a legend, for everybody. Uh, I love the idea that Connor Garland is someone who prides himself on just sort of sticking through uh, and sticking to one set of gloves for a full season, one set of skates. You know, there's guys who change and wear five pairs of gloves during the course of a game. Um, I love that. I love that Garland, like it just suits the gritty, grinding, hardworking personality that we see, you know, expressed in his play style. I love that. But we are wearing the third jerseys is an interesting one. And I'm curious, like, I don't have any inside intel here, but I'm curious to see when that'll happen. Certainly, you know, with how how much players are beginning to break in that gear, get that gear to a point where they're comfortable in it, that would that would feel to me like it's got to be relatively soon. And one game that looms sort of large on the schedule for me, like I wonder about that Flames Thursday nighter in, the, in late February, the 24th. Because, of course, some of the most iconic moments in that, you know, 94 look, uh, the stack pad saves came against the Calgary Flames in that first round series. I I wonder. I wonder. I don't know. But I wonder if that might be when we see it. Clearly, we are going to see the skate freed, however, in the near future. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the logo. Yeah, you've you've taken your chunks for this one. I love the look. I love the look, but I'm not a huge fan of the logo just because it's one of those logos that you can't shrink. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't look good on a baseball cap or, or you know, on a crest, um, a smaller crest. But the look, I always love because, for me, it kind of looks like when you're looking out at uh, downtown Vancouver over the water at night. You know, you've got the lights, you've got the, the dark. I love that. Um, so... I know fans will be excited. There's something viscerally exciting about seeing the Flying Skate logo and considering everything we've been through as a city, everything this franchise has been through, the idea of that, you know, skate flying on Rogers or Ice, I'm sure will build some hype around this team. And, and that's a level of hype that I think, you know, everyone, everyone in the hockey community in this city <laughs> needs right now, particularly with, um, you know, uh, just where where this atmosphere has been like there the, the team has played better under Boudreaux but there hasn't been a rush of atmosphere or buzz around them partly I think because they played 13 of 16 on the road partly because you're at a 50 percent capacity restriction it just feels like this team's sort of not connecting right now with the city there's like you know, they haven't. It's been almost too little, too late under Boudreaux to get people back engaged. But the skate jersey always, always gets Canucks fans talking, always gets them interested, always gets eyeballs. So I think it would be a good time. Like if that's just around the corner, I think that would be exactly what the doctor ordered for this club right now. Well, I tell you, with every the, all the breaks that we've gone through, all the road games you talked about, yeah, it's how been such wild a weird season for tonight to see that black jersey come back tonight. Wow, but no one needs I mean, to see that against that Arizona. That would have really just caught people off guard. But you're right, Arizona <laughs> may not be the best point. But I agree with you. I think um, just seeing the those colors, like a lot of these players that are on this team just haven't even worn that color yet. I think of Niels Huglander, I think of Vasily Colson, obviously the new guys in Garland and OEL. But when we hear from the players after they wear those black jerseys, there's a boost of confidence in the players' eyes, I think, wearing those. You hear from Elias Pettersson. It's his favorite jersey in the NHL, he's told us. And I think that it's a no-brainer to go back to that jersey. I'm not really in the camp that some people are in of saying that's the full-time jersey. But I do love that jersey for, you know, six to eight times a year. That's perfect. It's It feels like something that can actually boost the team, like a free boost to your team. You can give me another Mario Kart uh, reference if you want here. Can I, uh, I actually uh... – 
Justin Morissette is uh, is producing back in the studio. Justin, can you play me a breaking news um, klaxon, please? Sportsnet 650, breaking news. Confirmed, Louis Erickson is playing tonight. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Justin scrambled you know, in it, studio it, for that. It felt just as good as uh, as I'd imagined. Uh, thank you, thank you, Justin. Um, so yeah, Louis Erickson in tonight. He will make his homecoming, his Vancouver homecoming, on Tuesday night at Rogers Arena. Which we're very excited for as well. And I know that you guys can hit us up in the Dunbar Lumber text line as well. Six fifty six fifty is where you can reach us. We'd love to see some interaction. What your thoughts are. About the video that we might see, like, Drance, you've been behind the scenes on some of these things. What what do you have for your expertise to bring to us here? What are you expecting to see tonight in the return of the King, as well as uh, Roussel, who will be injured? Jay Beagle, though, as well. Is it all in one video? Do they each get their own? Does Louis get his own? What are we looking at here? I think you do it. You do it because you don't want... You do it because you don't want the criticism of having not done it. That's my view that's how I would approach this one. I remember the most complicated one that I dealt with was when the Vegas Golden Knights played their first game in Florida, and they had Gerard Gallant, mm. who was was coaching his first game back in Florida since the taxi cab incident, right? <laughs> and there was also uh, Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault, who already had like fifty points <laughs> each, right? So it was it was a touchy one, and so and I believe we did Gallant individually right off the hop. And, and I believe my thinking there was that one is the biggest risk to us, right? Not doing a significant acknowledgement for, you know, at the time, the coach of the most successful season in franchise history was not tolerable. It needed to be out front. It needed to be done quickly. And then, so I think that was the first TV timeout. And I think the second TV timeout was a mutual acknowledgement for both Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau. So I think that's how we approached it then, as I recall, um, I would probably expect the Canucks to do something similar. I would do an all-in three, you know, quick and dirty highlight video, give them an opportunity to wave at the wave to the fans and um, do it in the one-one, the first TV intermission right off the hop in the first period, just because you, you, it's the also the sort of thing you want to get done right away. Like one thing I always um, disliked was when you know if you have like an early goal in a game that you want to acknowledge, like a player milestone or something like this, yeah. right? Um, or, or an injury, right? You're always worried about how the game will go. You never want to acknowledge, like, and welcome back to Vancouver when they're losing 5 nothing or 4 nothing. <laughs> you know, you never want something like that. So you want to get it done right off the hop. Uh, the 1-1 TV timeout, I, I, that's what I would do. I would do a quick and dirty, um, quick highlight video, quick acknowledgement, uh, you know, thank you for your years of... of uh, contributing to this organization. And look, I mean, Beagle, uh, Roussel, Erickson, like they were a big part of, you know, the Canucks team that ended a long playoff drought and ended a 10-year drought, basically, or certainly an eight-year drought. No, nine-year drought between playoff series wins, right? I mean, that team, I know the 1920 season now feels like fool's gold, right? It feels like, it. you know, the promise that we that we witnessed when the Canucks stormed through the Edmonton bubble. and We didn't know what we had at the time well, and they, because but, everything went very downhill for us. Yeah, things went sideways immediately. Yeah, when it felt like we were on the up at the time, or the team was totally on the up at the and, time. And as a result, I don't think we've acknowledged that, like, if you get within seven minutes of the conference final, like, you could do everything right 
from now on, right? You could win four straight trades. You could nail three draft picks. You could win a draft lottery. And to get within seven minutes of the conference final is still a very rare opportunity, right? You can do everything right for two years and still not get back to that point. Look at the Edmonton Oilers with Connor McDavid. Like, they haven't gotten to that point with Connor McDavid, the best player in the world. Look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've built a team that just crushes everyone year after year in the regular season. Can't win a round. They haven't been out of the first round. Um, look at the Florida Panthers. They've had tremendous success. Look at the uh, Colorado Avalanche. You know who hasn't played in a conference final? Um, the Colorado Avalanche. Right? Like They haven't played in a conference final. Um, they were in overtime, though, with the game. So they got that close. But it's like the Colorado Avalanche, this team we watch and marvel at being a buzzsaw, was effectively like seven minutes closer to that opportunity than the Canucks <laughs> in 2019-20. Um, you know, playoff success is so difficult to achieve, and that team had some. Beagle, Erickson, Roussel were big parts of that club, big parts of that run. Erickson, in particular, played top six minutes at times during that playoff run. Antoine Roussel provided a physical presence, had some goals. Jay Beagle killed penalties, uh, had an assist. Well, there was calls for a Jay Beagle-type player coming back to Vancouver earlier in the year when we're looking at the penalty kill. Totally. Right? Like these, well, yeah. You guys did bring something to the team. A lot. That's the thing. Like you are, They were obviously overpaid. They were obviously given way too long of contracts, but they did bring something to the team, and I think that even the legend of Louie, like there is going to be a very big response from the crowd tonight for these three I, guys. I would think even so. Even though they were overpaid and talked about so yeah. horribly in this market, which was fair. They were not living up to the expectation of their salaries. They're still going to get a great response in the crowd tonight. I, I would hope so. They deserve it, right? Yeah. They were big parts of the most successful Canucks team of the last decade. Like, I know that, I know that, like... <laughs> that is, put that sentence in your bio. I know that's hard to hear, right? Like, it's hard to hear because of what this franchise has achieved or failed to achieve. But uh, the most successful Canucks franchise of the past decade, these three players played a massive role. They deserve a significant applause and significant recognition from the fans tonight. Maybe some TikToks as well, as i got to give a quick shout-out. I'm in the, the TikTok don't, master Brennan Bachelor spot. Don't pull your hammy. Uh, don't pull your hammy stretching for that transition to the read. Go. That wasn't horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and today is Safer Internet Day, and TikTok has got you covered with great resources to keep your teen's online experience safe. Just head over to TikTok.com slash safety. You'll find TikTok well-being guide, the community guidelines, and a guardian guide with details of TikTok's family pairing feature. This is where you can set up parental controls and privacy settings. You'll also find advice on how to talk your teens about online safety. TikTok has you covered this safer internet day. Learn how to talk to your teens about online safety at TikTok.com slash safety. Where we're in the booth right now, Drans. This is where Batch Hockey gets it done on TikTok. This is where he gets the millions and millions of views that blow it up. You have you have you seen Batch's TikTok? I have. He's, it's amazing. It's you know what? It's such a good reminder that it, when you do something interesting like Batch does for a living, people just want to see the behind the scenes. They just want to see how the sausage gets made. He does a great job. I love when people who just hear him on the radio they look like, oh, you're not a 65 year old man. Something about Batch's voice gives that uh, older vibe to you. Something about Batch's voice? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. Really? I've seen the comments. I'm sure Batch has seen them as well. I don't know. I think Batch sounds lovely. I think he looks lovely. He's so good. Such a good game caller. Love to listen to him. Even looks younger than he actually is, too. All right, we'll wrap things up there for the first little segment here. Second segment, some interesting things on the power play that I want to get into, Drance. Second power play unit went to work, and we saw Niels Huglander for Silly Pod Coles at the other end of the ice. I want to get your perspective on that. We'll get to that and more in the second segment. You are listening to the Canucks Hour with Chris Faber and Thomas Drance here on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> 
Canucks Hour. I can't get over this music. The Canucks Hour here with Thomas Drance and Chris Faber. Brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come. With fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca is where you can find them. And this is a different track. This isn't the regular uh, rejoiner music here, but we had to crank it up a little bit because the 650-650 Dunbar text inbox... They are not happy. No, no. People line. are very upset about the idea of celebrating Louis Erickson's uh, Canucks tenure. Didn't Louis sit in the press box during the entirety of the Edmonton bubble run? Texts in one unsigned texter. The answer is no. He actually played 10 games and played top six minutes in those 10 games. Do you want to know a couple of players who you might remember from the bubble run who Louis Erickson played more games or more minutes on average when he was in the lineup yeah, during the bubble some run? Of the, some of the stars, maybe? Tyler Mott? Yeah. Tyler Toffoli? Louis Erickson played more than both forward Tylers in that bubble run. He was the stopper. He was on the ice in like the highest leverage, close out the game situations. Louis Erickson was a big part of that team. Um, you guys sound like idiots right now, blown away. You guys are better than this. No, I'm not better than this. I think these guys deserve some recognition, to be totally honest with you. Um, again, they all played meaningful roles on the most successful Canucks team of the past 10 years. Um, that's not on them. Like, it's not on them that you were disappointed with their career tenures. I find it interesting they're going at Louie when Antoine Roussel was the one who didn't really play a big part in that playoff run as much. Yeah, Louis, he had four Louis, points. And Louie was more involved, though. I felt that it, there was a lot of penalties, if I remember correctly, with Antoine Roussel. Yeah, the but they were, they were always late. They were always late. Okay. Antoine Roussel was the master of making sure that he took penalties that didn't hurt the team. Like, how many times do you remember a big Canuck goal going in and Antoine Roussel doing the skate of shame across? Almost never. Antoine Roussel was the master, was the master of racking up penalty minutes when either the game was decided or in a moment when it wouldn't hurt his team. Like, that's what Antoine Roussel is so good at. One of the best in best in the league, up there with Tom Wilson. Um, I was expecting to see some headbands tonight in, in- Respect for Louis Erickson. Like I, I'm <laughs> oh expecting goodness. to see the online community come out. I think a lot of people that maybe don't are not aware of just what a meme god Louis Erickson was. I hope some people from Reddit are listening to this. Mike, Mike and Burnaby, by the way, has the right idea. You absolutely have to do a tribute video for each player. It's important to thank players who wore the colors. You don't want a reputation of a team that doesn't appreciate their players. Exactly. Exactly. Especially when the players all bled for this team, right? Dealt with significant injuries, played through them, played hurt. Um gave their honest effort, and, you know, were big parts of a playoff run. Like, come on, this is not – these aren't guys who played 40 games for this franchise. These are guys who played hundreds of games for this franchise over many years. Uh, it's not on them that they were signed to contracts that fans didn't like. Like, that's not on them. They came in to do a job. They all did their job. They did it to the best of their abilities. I don't think in the case of any guy – you would say that the effort level wasn't there. Like, until the last season, Louis Erickson was like the fittest guy in camp <laughs> who wasn't named Sedin every year, year after year. He always came to play. Um, he had lost his foot speed. He wasn't particularly effective. But that's not on him. It's not on him. So, yeah, I mean, for me, this is an open-shut case, but fans are furious. And I think another one that's interesting is how good they were in the media as well. I think, you know, there was a lot of charm from Jay Beagle. He's just someone who dealt with them every dealt with the Canucks even in their tough times. He dealt with the media pretty well. Antoine Roussel was obviously a lot of fun and he was a guy who brought a lot of fun to the ice. I 
you know, I understand that there was quite the discussion on the morning show the other day about what Antoine Roussel was, and I don't think he goes down in Canucks lore as someone that we're going to really remember, but a year after the trade, not even a year after we saw them get traded away, there still are a lot of memories with these players. I'm not saying 10 years down the road. I'll still remember Louis Erickson because I got a Louis Erickson Lunar New Year jersey, which wow. is my favorite jersey. Exceptionally that I own. cool. Excellent one. But I I don't think I'm going to remember the Jay Eagle era or the Antoine Roussel era or what they really did bring to this team 10, 15 years down the road. But right now, absolutely you should because this was a very recent, you said, the best success of this team has had. Came with these guys on the team playing roles on this team. Yeah, playing playing not not insignificant roles. I mean, Jay Beagle had had points. Like Jay Beagle, <laughs> Jay Beagle played had points. Jay Beagle in the bubble played fourteen minutes a game. Fourteen minutes a game. Oh no, sorry, that's at Brandon Sutter. Twelve minutes a game. Twelve forty a game. He had a goal and an assist. Um, Antoine Roussel played only seven and a half minutes a game, but two goals, two assists. He had like a key goal against the Blues. He had a key goal in the first round playoff series that the Canucks won. Again, something that the Canucks hadn't accomplished since 2011. Like, it had been a long time. It had been nine years since they'd won a playoff round. Antoine Roussel played a big role in that. So, look, I think it's important that they uh, are acknowledged for their contributions. And and I think it's, you know... I'm a guy who loves to discuss the flat cap. Do you know this about me? I, like, love cap minutia. <laughs> I've heard um, some of your things, th- That's a thing that I do at length. But there is an unfortunate side effect from a fan relationship with players, which is that guys who 20 years ago would have just been, like, the blue-collar, hardworking guys, you know, all of a sudden become a cap dollar, right? They right. become an inefficient investment of your team's resources. And instead of being able to appreciate a guy who plays black and blue hockey and, you know, block shots and kills penalties and wins draws and does some of the unglamorous parts of the game, you look at them and say, well, that's not worth $3 million. And it starts to bring out the words like negative value. Totally. A player who brings a lot to an organ or at least bring things on the ice. Totally. Or, and, and, you know, in almost every case is also a good person because you don't stick around this league if you're not also a good person to be around, if you're not also hardworking and disciplined in your habits and able to, you know, uh, show the way, like lead the way in terms of um, being a professional. And these guys did all of that. So for me, anyway, I think uh, I think it's time for them to be. Now, let's actually switch gears as opposed to relitigating. Yeah, Justin, jump in. Uh, I just wanted to say, because you were saying these are not guys who played 40 games for the franchise, but even if they were, if we go back like not that long ago, the first game played against the Calgary Flames with Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom as Flames, there was a third guy who got a video tribute that night. His name was Josh Levo. I think we can all agree that these three players contributed more in their years in Vancouver than Josh Levo did, who's a player I like very much. Or in Vancouver. In Vancouver. Oh yeah, I mean all all yeah. Josh, Josh Levo, Levo one too. Josh Levo got a Canucks tribute video in the first yeah. game against the Flames. So no brainer, you got to do it. Come on, come on, and and I would encourage fans planning to attend the game tonight to um to to pay legitimate respect. I mean, you can do it tongue in cheek if you want, but I would I would absolutely recommend that they be received warmly. Uh, they deserve it, in I my think, view. Yeah. The text that we are seeing coming in right now about booing that is absolutely ridiculous. Into the Dunbar Lumber 650-650 text line right now. The pe- I don't know how many more are coming in about booing than there are about cheering, but there is going to be cheers tonight. Are you? Do you want? You got more on this, Drance? I know you wanted to go run for a little bit. Oh this. yeah. We- well, I think it. I think it matters. Uh, 
good good text in here unsigned. It's so funny to hear Drance criticize fans for uh, takes that he propagates on the daily. I'm not criticizing fans. I want to make it clear. I think there's no wrong way to support a team, but I would encourage you to um, to not boo these gentlemen, these three gentlemen. Um, I don't think we'll see it at all. I don't. I don't, I don't we'll either. No one. No one. No one actually carries themselves that yeah. way. But but I also want to note, like you know. I talk about player value and team construction because I think that's what matters to keep your focus on if the goal ultimately is to root for a team that can win a Stanley Cup and ultimately does. Like, that's why my focus is on what my focus has been on uh, over the course of my career in Vancouver. Uh, But that doesn't mean that I, you know, don't like or am encouraging fans to have a negative perception of a player just because I don't think they have trade value or because I think they're overpaid or because I don't think the club should um, allocate their cap space in a certain way. Uh, that's not a personal shot at a player's abilities or their contributions or their effort level or their professionalism. And I think it's really important to distinguish between the two. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed covering all three gentlemen, but but especially Beagle and Roussel during my time uh, when rooms were open and you had a chance to actually engage with guys, they spent a lot of time uh, walking me through little nuances of their game. Jay Beagle, in particular, on on the draws, um, you know, he's a savant. He was a genius level faceoff winner, and yeah. you know, shared a lot of knowledge about JT Miller's sweep move and and some other things when when um, when I asked him about it. So the idea that uh, the idea that I propagated negative perception of those players. I think is uh, ridiculous, but I understand how you would think that uh, just just if you have a fleeting glimpse of, you know, my view about how to construct teams and, and what matters. And, and look, let's pivot a little bit and talk about the Garland and Oliver ekman Larson game against their former team. This is the first game between these two clubs since they engaged in a mega transaction, one of the biggest trades that I've ever seen in NHL history, over $80 million in uh, cap and or salary liabilities um, changed hands on that particular day in mid-July. And, you know, these are deals that are going to be felt by both franchises for years and years to come in terms of, um, you know, charting what the future looks like for both. Um, the Canucks have gotten really good contributions out of both Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland, although Garland had some colorful language to describe the experience that he's had over the last uh, eight weeks. Uh, roll the clip, Justin. Sucking, you know, sucks. When you suck, it, it stops. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. It does suck to suck. So uh, I think Garland's been far better. I, I actually picked Garland as the best goal scorer on this team earlier today on uh, on Halford and Bruff because adjusted for usage, he's an incredibly efficient first-line goal scorer. Specifically five-on-five. Five. What he's doing at five-on-five five right now, yeah. not getting any time on the first power play unit, yeah. he is the best goal scorer right now. On Thank the you. Box. Thank you, Faber. The Halford and Bruff reacted Behind like I was – Neil's Huglander. Uh, that's ridiculous, but um, but yeah, sure. Uh, so you know the the fact is is that Garland has come in and, in my view, been even better than he thinks he's been uh, for this team. I think he's been legitimate top six value. I would actually love to see him play a larger role, both on the power play and at five on five. I'd like to see him get more minutes. I think he's a stud top six player. Uh, across the board. I love the effort level. I love the grit. I love the physicality. I love that he doesn't care about anything but winning. I like that he's low maintenance with his gear. There's nothing about Connor Garland's game that I don't admire. And yet, uh, and and to, to talk about OEL too, uh, the offense hasn't been there, but his defensive play, I mean, he's been one of the top 20 defensive defensemen in this game this season uh, across the league. 
uh, he's been exceptional in terms of his ability to drive positive two-way outcomes for this team, even though the points haven't been there. Points might be there tonight now that he's playing at the the top of uh, power play one in Hughes' absence. But for all of that, I don't think there's any way you can look back at those deals or that deal in particular and say that it hasn't been a cataclysm, like an absolute disaster for the Vancouver Canucks in, in almost every way. And that's, again, you know, to go back to the distinction that you got to make between a player's contributions and a- analysis of them in how they fit within a hard-capped league or on a team within a hard-capped league, Garland and OEL have exceeded expectations for me in their first year as, uh, as Vancouver Canucks. And yet, because of the commitment that the club made cap-wise, because they now have, you know, $12.7 million tied up long-term in a pair of players, um, you know, who are good, but in OEL's case, certainly almost impossible to move on from, as opposed to $12 million in expiring contracts that come off the books next season. And because this team's not good enough, because they're a long shot to make the playoffs, when you combine all that, all those facts, like you'd rather be a team with a ton of expiring deals that's going to miss the playoffs than a team that has, you know, a significant liability in Oliver ekman Larson, for example, that, that you're probably going to have to build around and navigate around for years and years to come in terms of your overall positioning and your flexibility to take the sort of quantum leap forward that we're all hoping to see in the Jim Rutherford era. It's a really interesting dynamic where both players have performed well and the trade nonetheless has been a abject failure for this Canucks organization. If you look down the road here, Trans, and this is like, you know, I've heard this chat, this conversation a lot about, yes, it's going to be hard for them to maintain what they're doing, but how many years of exceeding expectations from these two players would make you think that this was an okay deal? Let's say we're four four years down the road, and these two players are still exceeding expectations. Does it not become as bad of a trade, or do you think that the flexibility that they could have had with the salary is the big reason that's hurting? But even if they're if they're exceeding and exceeding, and Garland's a top line guy three years down the road from now, and OEL's still playing top four minutes and, and looking a lot better and playing a good defensively. At that point, is it still as bad? Do you need to see years of expect, of exceeding expectations? Or is this deal just never going to end up turning out because of where they are in a rebuild? Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's about team performance, right? It's like, will this team ever make the playoffs? Will this team ever make the playoffs? This is the question you have to ask yourself. Is it likely, in your view, that this team ever makes the playoffs with both players on the roster? Or is one going to be dealt before that to carve out additional flexibility? Because if the answer is that... The, if the answer to your, your that question is no, I, I bet at some point the club will have dealt one of them before they're a really good team again, yeah. then it didn't work, period. It's it's not even about their individual contributions, right? It's It goes back to the way things fit in team construction within a hard cap league. Like, this league now is about an efficiency contest between 32 organizations, none of whom can outspend the other in terms of player salaries, right? In terms of the actual personnel on the ice, you are capped in what you can spend um, to put a roster together. And so it's about being efficient in as many different places as you can be. And like the Garland deal for me is a totally efficient deal, right? In fact, that's a value deal. But because of the fact that they added 12.75 and are a team that's not likely to make the playoffs in fact is 92 percent likely to miss the playoffs according to Dom decisions model you end up in a moment where it just didn't make sense and you'd far rather have the flexibility 
just with where this team's at in their in their building cycle and and how they're sort of projecting to improve and 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 what avenues to improve are now clogged as a result of these deals that's the reason that you know you can lose a trade you win you can win a trade you lose it's because in the in a cap system you just have to be ruthless in how you go about being efficient up and down your up and down your lineup and and unfortunately for the Canucks the trade that they made yes they parted ways with more inefficient pieces but because of the term attached to the deals the inefficient deals they parted with uh, and because of the size of the liabilities that they brought in and I, I'm talking about from a financial perspective not from a not from a quality of play yeah. perspective um, as a result of that these deals have created a team that is n- both not good enough and nearly impossible to dis uh, to disentangle and and that's a, that creates a situation where Jim Rutherford is going to have a really difficult time Jim Rutherford and his new hockey operations department is going to have a really difficult time turning this franchise's fortunes around unless unless this team continues to play the way that they have in the first 21 games under Bruce Boudreau which is possible but I'm really worried about the lack of offense and I'm really worried in general about them benefiting a little too much from significant goaltending it almost feels like they traded in you know a sentence where you have let's say handcuffs and cuffs on your ankles as well for one year, it seems like they just switched that off to now just having handcuffs for what's well, going to end up being six more years of Oliver Ekman Larson. Like, you are still going to be restraining yourself from being able to make these, you know, interesting moves and use the salary cap to your advantage because you have lost a huge chunk of your salary cap already. You can't use it as an advantage anymore. And that's kind of what you're saying is kind of hurting them. The most. Well, the analogy that I, I remember I wrote about the Canucks' financial, the, the cap situation in advance of the last year's offseason, and the analogy that I used, similar to your handcuff analogy, was that it was a Chinese finger trap. If you just relax, you, you know, you're, you're able to get out uh, one of those toy finger traps. You, you just relax, you're able to pull your fingers out quickly. If you struggle against it, the uh, vice grips just get firmer and firmer. And that was sort of what I suggested in terms of, you know, avoiding a Holtby buyout, letting these contracts just toll, trying to be really efficient around the edges rather than steering into an aggressive allocation strategy, which is ultimately what the club decided to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they made their decision. They tried to build a playoff team despite the fact that the ground in front of them wasn't favorable. I actually think some of what they did made a lot of sense in terms of the thinking behind it. They seized on a lot of unique opportunities to make all the puzzle pieces fit. And I didn't actually hate the offseason work when when viewed as a as a total at the time um but once they got into camp and once there was a hammock issue and a sutter issue um and (laughs) once you realized that the team was still really far away especially in a world in which their uh top young players didn't continue to improve at an exponential like maybe perhaps even an unreasonably reasonable clip uh in terms of how quickly they'd level up uh, it quickly became apparent that this was, um, you know, a poorly constructed foundation. And, and now what's been left behind, you know, is a really difficult moment uh, to navigate. Like, it's a really challenging situation where there's not enough prospects, the team's not good enough, there's no cap flexibility, um, you know, and the team doesn't even have their full arsenal of draft picks. And when you get into that sort of situation, I don't really see a realistic option ahead aside from either 
this team actually is what they've looked like under Boudreaux, in which case you can just tinker around the edges and, and hope that you continue to improve, or or uh, a more widespread detonation. And and as Canucks front office folks, as, as Rutherford's new look department, have some high-level meetings to chart a future for this franchise, you know, I think the key question they have to ask themselves is, do we believe the last 21 games? Do we believe that that is real? Or do we need a more fundamental rethink in retooling this roster? Uh, I know where I land on that, uh, but presumably they'll get even more data <laughs> with which to make that determination uh, with eight games and 16 days ahead for this club beginning at Rogers Arena on Tuesday night against the Arizona Coyotes. And this group, this new regime that's come in here, is the right group to make that decision because they have no attachments. They have no attachments to the people that are making the decisions now. There is nothing in the past that's going to make them look bad if they go a completely different direction, and that should be exciting for Canucks fans. Yeah, well, and I think the noises that they've made in terms of what they've shared about how they view the situation they've inherited, the focus on young players, on draft picks, and on uh, salary cap space, to me, reads like a group that has a really good understanding of the you know, enormity of the task at hand. And we'll see, uh, we'll see how they ultimately decide to proceed, um, you know, uh, my view, my view is I, I think the team does need to, to accept that a step back is coming, whether you struggle against it or not. I do think they need to relax to get their fingers out of the trap, um, even though even though to some extent it's a little too late. Uh, they've already gotten trapped uh, it, to some extent, but there's still enough good pieces on board here. There's still, you know, five guys you can look at as being core level contributors under the age of 26. There's still good bones, even if the... Uh, edifice requires reno- renovation and it'll be very fascinating to see how the club approaches that exactly and and two whether or not the team can make their decision a little bit more difficult over the course of the next uh, six weeks leading up to the march 21st NHL trade deadline final thing i wanted to get into before we get out of here just a couple minutes on it really like the line together coming back of Elias Patterson, Vasily Podkolz, and Niels Huglander. want to make sure we shout that out. For folks that are watching the game tonight, that's a line that we saw a lot of excitement early on from Huglander, Patterson, and Podkolz when they played together. Durant's basically just got a minute here. What do you expect to see from them tonight? Do you expect to see similar domination like we saw from them when they played together earlier in the year? Yeah, I, well, and I mean, it's an interesting fit. Bruce Boudreaux noted that the three get along when he said that he uh, that he assembled the line uh, with that in mind, we'll see what's what type of chemistry um, you know they can uh, they can find. Uh, we've seen it work before. It makes sense in your mind's eye. You've got sort of a couple of puck battle winners with with Pedersen. We know how creative he can be and and what a lethal finisher he can be when he's on his game. Uh, they need him. They need more from him. I think there's no secret about that. He's also back on the right flank on the power play. So big opportunity for Pedersen to begin the second half of the campaign. Um, you know, with a statement game, and and I'd expect one because I do think he's going to have a much stronger finish to the season than he's had. Um, you know, to to begin like the first forty six games, what he's done in the for- first forty six, I think he's going to significantly outperform that level over the latter thirty six. You like to ba- match up against bottom six competition when you're a guy like Elias Pettersson. He's going to get even lower than that as he's facing. Oh, bottom I think six I think you hate you hate to match up with bottom six competition oh, when you're I mean, a proud tonight, professional though. athlete. Yeah, but when you're carrying two young guys on your wings, you want to kind of. Yeah. Let's get some points I, I guarantee tonight. you there is no super competitive NHL player in the league who's like, <laughs> man, I really want to avoid the Travis Boyd matchup. Oh, yeah. Travis Boyd, does he get a does he get lumped in with the other guys? He's, he's going to be the one that gets booed probably. <laughs> uh, all right, that wraps it up for another Canucks Hour here for Tuesday. 
Sounds like Jamie will be back tomorrow, so we're expecting to get Jamie back. Uh, it's been fun filling in with you here, Drancer, for a couple Pleasure of Pleasure to have you. And uh, we'll see if we do some down the road as well. So, for my co-host, Thomas Drance, my name is Chris Faber. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650.